Science. Transgenic animals. Bone stealing. Talking parrots. Gene patents. Talking human Z's. Bounty hunters. Giant cockroach pets. Lots of gratuitous and unnecessary sex. Don't forget the pedophilia. Sexy time. The quest for the female orgasm. Gene patenting. I said that already. You weren't listening. (laughs) (laughs) More gene patenting. All that and more on this episode of My Arms Are Lasers, following Michael Crichton's Next. Welcome, laser heads, to this episode of My Arms Are Lasers. Is that the? Did we decide that was the proper? I like it. I mean, I like it. I gave it some time. I haven't thought of anything better. Laser fingers. It's. I mean, it's pretty good. But I. I feel like. I feel like the name should come from the fans. Yes. From if you have an idea, if you have an idea for what you would like the My Arms Are Lasers fans to be called. Write us at it's my arms are lasers all one word at gmail.com. And on Twitter. Or at my arms are lasers on Twitter. Uh speaking of writing in, we have some fan mail. Oh, before we jump in, let's tackle that fan mail. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, and let's also be reminded, Aaron hasn't had his coffee yet because we have to do the twenty three and me thing. Oh yeah. Okay, we have a special treat for you guys. Um Aaron's going to do some sort of DNA test. That's right. Uh, in honor of this week's episode, 23andMe 20, is sponsoring us, not really. Uh, <laughs> uh, since Next is all about genetic manipulation and genetic testing. It was and Michael- huge legal battles, so yes. we should probably not say that they're sponsoring us. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's Michael Crichton's last book before he died, and it was all about the near future of genetic manipulation and where what could possibly happen in the next 10 15 20 years so uh as in honor of that subject matter uh i have uh contacted or i i should say i sent away for a dna testing kit from the google owned 23andme which is the closest i could find to an evil corporation basically (laughs) asking for all of your genetic material and here on the air live I am going to give away my soul and my ancestors and descendants' genetic information to this giant corporation. And I'm assuming that on a future episode, we'll go over the results. Yes. Yes, in, we'll, in find episode, we'll find Aaron's out if Aaron's part monkey or... Yeah. Well, we've already established Swedish. Off, off mic that Ellen is actually part ma- monkey because she has... A very small She part. has a condition... Dude, that's your girlfriend. Well, no, she has a condition called Morton's Toe, which is, <laughs> sounds a much less... Much worse than it actually is it just means that one of her toes is a little bit you, longer should than the we other. be airing uh, this laundry or what's basically we- i'm a runner and i have um issues with my second with the toe next to my big toe on my left foot because it's slightly longer than my big toe and it causes me some some pain when i run and aaron looked it up and decided that that is a condition that came from our chimp ancestors well, right? I, didn't, I didn't. The guy who named Morton's toe, Professor Morton, 
thought that it was an atavistic <laughs> trait. <Chimto. laughs> it was an atavistic trait, which means that it was a remnant of our animalistic past. It's uh. so slight on my foot, though, but Aaron's decided that it's 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 a and, big deal. It means that you're three quarters chimp. Okay. Well, I have Flintstone feet, so I think that makes me a cartoon. <laughs> that means that you had cartoons in your ancestry. Like, your great-grandfather may have been a cartoon. But first... First. Before Aaron expunges his DNA material... <laughs> Alright, we're gonna go over fan mail. And we have uh, Alex Hagel wrote in. Hey, Alex. I asked the populace if anyone was listening, and he wrote back, I am listening. All I could say is, I enjoy the group's opinions on the books you read, and hope to see more. Well, we hope to give you more. Well, thanks, Alex, mm-hmm. for writing thanks. in. We appreciate that. That's why we do this. We are not being paid at all. And then he says, have a nice day, my arms are lasers. Thank well, you. You, P.S. Should ha- you have a good day, too, Alex. P.S. I lost my shit over your version of the book next which <laughs> happened at the last that. part of our yeah. uh, last episode right, yeah right. right at the end of the last episode as we were getting a little too loopy we were like what is it about and we just started joking and riffing that the book since it was michael Crichton's last book that the whole book was written about how it was a, a strange science fiction universe where michael Crichton didn't have cancer <laughs> <laughs> why oh why do i have this cancer <laughs> Yeah, uh, and then the scientists come in and cure me, and I can eat whatever I want, and, and I don't have to I be on medicine. I the day. I would like to point out that he did, a book was released after he passed away about pirates. Yeah, but that wasn't sci-fi. That was just, that was a straight-up pirate tale. Pirates Yeah, I just wanted to cancer? point it out. Yeah, uh, I don't know. They shrunk the ship down, and they went inside the body. <laughs> it's one of oh, God. I'm not they, giving they that they out. Lo- I'm going to write that. Everyone shut up. Shut up. cancer cells. <laughs> <laughs> also, Alex uh, tweeted at us, I don't know enough about sci-fi, but how do you guys feel about authors getting burned by publishers, such as Karen Travis getting burned by LucasArts, and then opting not to let her finish the Republic Commando series? Well, I wasn't aware of that particular author burn but i assume that you mean like when authors are able to retain the rights or they purchase the rights of a novel series that was created by the creator and then uh when they're done with the author the author doesn't want to do it anymore then they're like well we can do whatever we want with it and then they just farm it out to other people to to publish on their behalf well it sounded like she wanted to do it but people didn't agree with the canon that she was making up oh i see i like i'm unfamiliar i'm kind of want to start reading the books now it's based off like uh the star wars clone okay clone wars cartoon and i guess these books are kind of based off that hmm. which if you're watching that it's on netflix in every episode they say i have a bad feeling about this <laughs> or i don't like the sound of that or or luke we've got company <laughs> that specific one yes. luke's not even there who's luke it's a bummer that she didn't get to finish the story of what she wanted to do, but when you're dealing with a monstrous Star Wars that's owned by Disney, yeah, a big incident. Inc- I think it really depends on the franchise. When because when you're dealing with Star Wars, that is the expanded universe or EU is such an, a massive, sprawling, awkward kind of monstrosity of of a fan base and franchise that it's really hard to claim ownership. You know, with that, it's I would treat it more like a comic book 
where you know you have Marvel or DC that have the rights to all these characters, and then you come in and you pitch your idea, like I want I want Daredevil to get his sight back and just be a regular lawyer, <laughs> and they have the choice to <laughs> to either um, publish that or say no, we hate your pitch, or 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 even take you off the project halfway through because sales aren't good, and then give it to somebody else. Right. If it's like a novel that you publish as your heart and soul. And like you created it, like if if they took it away from George Lucas, for instance, I might have more of a problem with it. It sucks that she didn't get to do her vision, but I feel like there, if she really felt like uh, you know very passionate about that, she could just create a bunch of you know knockoff characters. Welcome and to her- Nova Wars. <laughs> yes, look, it's Luke Sky Killer. <laughs> Yes, they're they're blowns. They're blowns. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, I I just did a quick search on it, but it was because Lucas Arts wanted to change the canon on the planet Malador. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Of course, for the Clone Wars. Of course, and Malador. I think she in her books like there were only six million clones. Or oh yeah, no some, less, less than that. Yeah, like way less clones than they're probably realistic would be because the to control the entire universe, right. or Galaxy. Well, the galaxy has like what one million planets. Yeah, so like yeah. that would be like one soldier per planet. Yeah, <laughs> less. Yeah, than. that I did see that that there was like three only three million or something, and that fans were upset because that wasn't enough. Okay, yeah. so so they were like, uh, "You're kind of screwing this up. Get well, out." Maybe of here. she is just crazy. She's like, no, they're awesome. That's why they're so few. <laughs> well, commandos. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, I I basically agree with Aaron. It's not her original concept. She's hired to cr- continue mm-hmm. a vision, so there's obviously going to be st- a sticky, murky water area there. You know, a gray area to wad through. So. It's too bad if she was removed from a project when she's been a pretty prolific author um, on Star Wars. But um, I, I can see where that could happen. Yeah. But thank you for writing in. And Karen Travis, if you're listening and you want to get your side out there. Please. Uh, we would be happy to yeah. hear more. I don't know enough about the issue. Yeah, or if we got this issue completely wrong or just made it up. <laughs> uh, right into my arms are lasers at gmail.com. So now, so DNA. Let's <laughs> DNA. Let's jump into the meat and potatoes of this week's book. Well, first, don't you want to like spit? Don't you in want to spit? I, I, I feel like we should set up the book a little bit before okay. I spit into a jar. Uh, uh, okay, I'm just concerned about you having your coffee. I'll, I'll be all right. Okay, so. Michael Crichton's Next. It's a sci-fi book a little different from what we've discussed um, in the past in that it takes place in the near future, if not today. Yeah, I mean, almost almost today. It's, it's, defini- it's, it's, it's today. barely speculative fiction. Yeah, but, it, but it's sort of taken... But it is. Michael Crichton, in interviews and elsewhere, has made it very clear. He's like, this doesn't even feel like science fiction to me because this a lot of this stuff has already happened or is most likely to happen in the next 10 years. Oh, I looked up all this stuff. There's there's a list, and a lot of this stuff has happened, or at least there's an article written about it. What I read is he said basically the only part to him that um, was truly speculative uh, was his use of the transgenic animals. Yeah, but that's, you know, there already are... Has in pieces happened, but not quite how he wrote it. Yeah, 
so the main focus of the book is uh, genetic mani- genetic manipulation, essentially. Like the you know where we are in society and research as what what we're doing with genes. We're patenting them. We're manipulating them. We're taking pieces of genes and inserting them elsewhere. We're sort of flagrantly. Uh, you know, using the, the this technology in very irresponsible ways, uh, just because it's sort of a shortcut to profit, uh, and that's you know, bioengineering is essentially the next real estate market where people are just going to dump a bunch of money into it. They already are dumping yeah. a bunch of money into it to make money and not necessarily advance and, science. And basically, Michael Crichton uses a series of interconnected stories to explain how. We as a society are not really ready for these rapid changes. Our laws aren't be, aren't able to catch up. They aren't able to, to no, keep speed. No. They aren't able to handle They're hard, it. Hard to define. Yeah, they don't know how to handle it. Um, yeah. Our lawmakers. So it just causes this interesting murky water. And Michael Crichton interweaves a bunch of stories to help us understand some of these issues. Well, it it seems to me like he tried to find all the uses for genes. Okay, we could use it for a paternity suit. Mm-hmm. We could use it over um, splicing in genes. Uh, what else? <laughs> he, um, for advertising to alter oh, yeah. how animals look and our nature to put ads on animals. could use it animals. to sell body parts or black market body parts. Yeah. Or we could use it and to then claim... Just or, use that. Use, or we could use it to claim ownership of a specific cell line that happened to be created by a person and then they patent it and then can just be, uh, in for all intents and purposes own that person. What's also different about this book is it covers a lot of characters rather than on one or two storylines. A lot yeah. of characters and a lot of storylines. Yeah, Crichton himself has said that the book is structured after a DNA strand itself. Oh, that's cool. So each storyline is sort of correspondent to another a random chromosome. So there, I guess there's probably 23 storylines, give or take, that he Maybe. kind of addresses, more or less. And so the way it, the book is sequenced is sort of just like these th- kind of little storylets that kind of start, and then they break off, and then they'll pick up again later on. And then uh, and inter- they got their then, opposite that they're dealing with. Yeah, and then intertwine with another little storylet, and those are sort of like the, the halves of the DNA helix, which, you know, mm-hmm. it works to a certain degree, uh, uh, the story, a lot of the stories are interesting enough, or he made them interesting enough that I was able to forgive some of the storytelling, like weirdness. Yeah, well, I, this was a, a this is a unique structure for Michael Crichton. He usually doesn't. Um, I mean, I can think of a couple other books that interweave some storylines, but not to this extent. So um, I, I think I, there are pros and cons for it. Mm-hmm. Um, the good thing is that it's broken up very short. Like yeah. each chapter is right. pretty short and exciting and straight right. to the point. Yeah, so I, you could pick it up, put it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the maybe, bad part is that I, I kind of like half the chapter. You're like, all right, who's this guy? Right. Yeah. Like I, I had to make up like um, memory games along <laughs> right. with mnemonics. The, certain, mnemonics yeah. Yeah. certain characters were easier to latch onto than others. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you'd be like, oh yeah, this this storyline is is this person. I and I I think. Michael Crichton had to do that in order to talk about all of his all of the different issues that he wanted to talk right. about. <laughs> and it wouldn't it would be way what too we do with to, genes? to all yeah. happen to one person. Right. Um before we get too much into it, let's just maybe run down the character stories yeah. one right. by one. Just I a think, real synopsis. I think synopsis. we should start with the characters who are directly connected to Biogen. That's the big gene company of the whole book. Mm-hmm. That, got, that created an island of dinosaurs. We got Rick no. different. <laughs> we got Rick Deal. 
Rick Dio owns Biogen. Yeah, he's sort of a sleazy CEO type of a genetic engineering company. And if you want your mnemonic device, Rick Deal, always making deals because he owns the place. There you (laughs) go. go. I'm an idiot, so I had to make these things up, okay, guys? (laughs) He is going through a divorce, correct? So his storyline also branches off into the, should you be able to genetically test your spouse for while, mental illness while you're going through a divorce and use whatever results against them to, in order to get kid, the kids yeah so that was one um who we also met a sleazy lawyer, lawyer through that storyline yeah who and, was more than happy to try to employ this new technique and then also working at biogen was the guy who gave away the gene spray to his brother josh yeah uh, so he was like sort of an entry-level geneticist at this company who was desperate to kind of ma- get his big break because he realized that you know the company might be going under and all these scientists were getting all these all this publicity for finding these big uh you know discoveries and if he didn't find one of his but own he soon didn't, he wouldn't he, make any money but he didn't mean to infect anybody his no. his his deadbeat brother stole something out of his car the gene spray thought it was drugs took it and it started to help his deadbeat brother it was the maturity gene yeah made him grow up but then he never stopped maturing which ultimately hurt him didn't he infect one one other person and then yeah. also Oh yeah. Yes and no. A cup on a couple. He he used a placebo on the couple. Yeah. Once yeah. once he once he discovered that this gene spray that he had been testing on mice would cause you know drug addicts and and vagabonds right, to suddenly become very mature and get jobs and you know via his brother. Via that his was brother. The first one. Then he, then he had dollar signs in his eyes and he was like, oh, I I could use this could be what makes me famous. And so he uh, and then his mother interjects and is like, you should give this to my oh his the mother my, the my mother. Friend. Is a great character. You really have to give this to my my friend's sister's son because he also has drug addict problems. And so he he was like, you know what? I need need to test this to see if it works. So I'll try it on him too, just to see because I'm willing to step over all of this, uh, you know, regulation. And if you want to hear the shortcut I made up for his name, yeah. Josh Winkler? Winkler Sprinkler. Oh, yeah. Because he had the stuff that spray. Sprinkle spray. Sprinkle spray. (laughs) So another big character would be Frank Burnett, who Biogen owns a line of his uh, genes, or his owns a gene of his. Yeah, so his story was that he, Frank Burnett, went to UCLA, uh, or UFC, one of the two. UCLA. Okay, so he went to UCLA to get treated for cancer. And as they were treating him, he miraculously got better. Uh, and the, and then the scientist that was working with him, or the doctor, the medical doctor, experimental doctor, said, oh, you, you should really come in for more testing. And didn't tell him anything about why he should keep coming in for testing. And so he just assumed that he still had cancer, was getting treated. What he didn't know is that, in fact, his body had, on its own, produced a cell uh, called a cytokine that fought cancer and effectively like cured it or or uh at least sent it into remission naturally so ucla had taken a sample of his cell line as part of this uh treatment that they gave they gave to him and had been culturing it and wanted him wanted him to keep coming in for tests so that they could then patent it and then they didn't even they didn't do anything to it but because of outdated laws 
they essentially patented and owned the cells that Frank Burnett's body produced. Right, and they were and able then, and they were able to do that. So his whole storyline is with he and his daughter, who's a lawyer, are in court trying to fight for ownership and a part of the profit of what those cells are now worth. And at the beginning of the book, they are losing horribly yeah. and are not able to prove that he should have ownership of his own body, which um, it has a lot was, of pissed me off. Whiz, was off. How, that was how the laws were. Um, that also has a lot have, of intense legal ramifications oh, that are following um, down the line. I have an update on that for later. Okay. Yeah, I have a more specific... Okay, so next storyline. I don't have a, a mnemonic device for that. <laughs> Why don't we go over the animals? Okay, so there's the also... people. I, what I would say we all, what would all agree is the most interesting part of the, the book is uh, transgenic animals. Uh, there's three in the book that, that are discussed. Uh, the first one that's introduced is uh, a an orangutan that's discovered in the Sumatran jungle uh, that starts cursing out a bunch of tourists that take photos of them. It tourists. They're yeah. like, man, sh- shit, fuck you, <laughs> <laughs> as they're trying to take photos of him. And uh, this the one tourist, that's rude. That's rude. <laughs> and they're like, he maybe he's sick. And like, no, <laughs> he actually has uh, human DNA in him from some. You know, illegal experiment that presumably happened in Korea somewhere or China, uh, and then they just dumped him off in this orangutan reserve. So th- there's this basically half-human orangutan uh, that uh, this hunter is trying or th- trying to uh, subdue, so he could you know prove that he exists and, and make money off of him them. and record him. Yeah. So he's trying to so he's trying to be cap. They're trying to capture him. And he curses in five languages. Yes. That's kind of so. That's one. Two uh, is. Uh, a a chimpanzee uh, that was part of an experiment by another biogen scientist or, or a guy who used to work ago. there. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, from four years ago, he was doing it, an experiment on autism, uh, and so he inserted some human DNA into like the speech center part of a chimp embryo, uh, and then was planning to just dissect it and be done with it to see you know how it developed but then this uh, was Hen- henry kendall Her- henry kendall was, was the scientist. scientist yeah and uh but then the the uh experiment was ended abruptly and so he lost his job and then forgot about it and then four years or they later, moved it they moved it to another facility yeah and, and so he assumed that they had just destroyed all the embryos uh but unbeknownst to him one of them took uh, was brought to term by a chimpanzee mother and then birthed a half-human, half-chimpanzee uh, that had been raised in this facility for four years. And then he was able to bring the animal home. Yeah, he snuck it out and then began to raise it as his own son. And sent it to school. To school. And, and, and that, it talks, and it has a very interesting just sort of... Just because that probably would be he, very sorry. easy to do is just his, have another kid. His name is... Dave. Dave. And so there's Dave in the house, and then they they also have a fully human son named Jamie. There's two Jamie boys in this book. Which is, I think, an oversight of his, and then he half, halfway through was like, uh, I'll just make it them. like important. That yeah, there's a plot Jamie. point. That's I think very he planned weird. it. Eh, maybe. Um, <laughs> and then what is the on mom's... a confusing book? It's just one makes little step confusing. that was like. Hmm. It helped with one plot twist towards yeah. the end, right? And what is the mother's name in that family? Uh, Lynn. 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 Okay, so that's that family. And the daughter is Tracy. Right. 
And then we have the third transgenic animal. Who is Gerard, the uh, gray African parrot. African gray parrot. He was part of another experiment somewhere else uh, in France, I believe, uh, that was, Mm -hmm. again, trying to experiment with, uh, I think, speech pathology or something. And since African greys, and this is true, have a really high uh, intelligence for vocabulary and are considered among the most intelligent in the animal kingdom, uh, they thought maybe we could explore that. And so they put human genes in him. And then after two years, they suddenly realized, oh, he's a fully sentient, like, human parrot. Yeah. <laughs> uh he, he was looked after by a scientist who was also married, but also have an affair. Like, they both agreed uh, each had their own affair. Right, and then this parrot is constantly talking, like, inappropriately and talking about what's going on in the home and yeah. they just, the husband hated it. He, he so he got basically rid of it. So he got rid of it. sounds like as they sound he could imitate other people's voices as they are yeah so he's yeah. like a rep- sound effect so real like he could do a police academy movie and like bang yeah bangs and, and-, and he was like a, ta- a a living tape recorder so you know when the husband was having an affair he would just like be repeat. able to memorize it yeah. and then repeat it back in his voice and the mistress's voice yeah. to the wife <laughs> like oh oh yes yeah he is my second favorite character so then um then gerard goes on gerard's crazy adventure once he gets out yeah. into the real basically, world basically he keeps getting kidnapped by people who think they can make money off him and then he uh, in a, in so a crazy much. machiavellian way yeah. annoys them to the point where they get rid of him and then he's, he's able freed. to find uh, freedom yeah my favorite part was when he kept being like i've been kidnapped i've been kidnapped <laughs> get off you're get your bird. hands off me you brute <laughs> you're not a person yeah. what are you talking about he would mix movie quotes with actual speech yeah always I have my favorite part, but I'll save that for later. Uh, okay, okay uh, other storylines. Oh, so Bellarmino. There's so many. Yeah, the 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 cocky head of science. <laughs> yeah, the cocky head of science and his wife and yeah, his who, daughter. Who, rather than being like, uh, you know, a Bible thumping, we shouldn't do this. Instead, he uses God. Uh, and religion as a manipulative tool to make I it seem like... I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. And a very su- yeah, he great would, uh, curve on a... He would manipulate the, the conservative base and saying, this is just one more tool that God gave us to, to you know, explore the bounty of his creation. Yeah. Wasn't he the one that tried to sell a crowd on um, putting ads on animals? Uh, I think that was a different Was story that line. the other... Yeah old yeah, guy the one a, that died of cancer at watson the end? was that watson? The, watson the silent contributor to biogen yeah okay I, Wat, watson and bellarmino were very similar for me yeah they're both old guys pushing well, science there's a and lot of religion similarity hard <laughs> well, to keep track of. At, at first i, I liked bellarmino mm-hmm. a lot but then he stole that other lesser scientist uh idea of the thrill thrill gene or the right gene. yeah then there, there's also a storyline of, of human body tissue being stolen. That's, that's sort of like a comical thread. Mm-hmm. It ends uh, halfway through the book. Right, where, the, where at the hospital, uh, at like Cedars-Sinai or somewhere, they were like, oh, we need to do DNA testing on this body. And then they realize that like the bones have already been stolen by like some temp worker who works at the, right. at, just at the hospital them. named Raza. Yeah. And he who replaces just, like, oh, yeah, I, uh, well, I didn't do it. My brother did it. He's like, your brother, he's not trained. He's like, oh, he fills in for me. It's fine. And so like, right. there's all this like, you know, we think DNA testing is so hard and fast and like clinical and scientific but really it's just about a bunch of like assholes that right. don't know what they're doing right. you know contaminating samples and stealing shit and trying to make a profit and, other pe- oh, th- and then- this book hits on uh 
you know, all the universities that um, right. are doing research, but they're really just yeah. um, trying to make a profit out there. Right. And not always following rules. And there actually was a probably a wife that murdered her husband, but because Raza had stolen the bones, then they, the the guy at the university was like, oh, I better cover this up because I don't want them to exhume him again. And yeah. uh, let's just move on. Let's just move on. Let's just burn the so body. I think because he had a lead pipe instead of bones. So I think that's all the main storylines. I think that's a good base. So just to kind of sum up, uh, I have a really great quote from the book uh, that's actually from Michael Crichton himself in, in the... Uh, not the foreword, but the afterword. Mm-hmm. Um, and here, I think this kind of sums up the general attitude towards all of these stories and us dealing with, you know, playing God. Is it, this novel is fiction except for the parts that aren't? No. Oh. But that is, that is a good quote. That, that's the, that's the, <laughs> start. the inscription at the beginning. Uh, but this is a quote from him. I, I quote, The ultimate lesson is that science isn't special, at least not anymore. Maybe back when Einstein talked to Niels Bohr and there were only a few dozen important workers in every field. But now there are three million researchers in America. It's no longer a calling, it's a career. Science is as corruptible a human activity as any other. Its practitioners aren't saints, they're human beings, and they do what human beings do. Lie, cheat, steal from one another, sue, hide data, fake data, overstate their own importance, and denigrate opposing views unfairly. That's human nature. It isn't going to change. Yeah, that's true. There was that whole Let's burn them at the stake. Mm -hmm. Yes. And before I run out of saliva, let's jump into this uh, little... Oh, thank God. It's saliva and not any other excrement that you... Yes, let's fill up your 23andMe kit and send it off. In in honor of Next and all of the dangers of genetic information and genetic uh, ownership, I am going to voluntarily send off all of my genetic info to google possibly the most dangerous company in the world uh via my saliva and spitting it in this genetic testing kit i am going to I record can't it watch on my this. iphone so it's we grossing could, uh, me out. Post it later. so let me just read you a little bit of the, the instructions here so it says uh first i register so i registered online uh, and it asked me a lot of very specific questions um such as first says what best your, what best describes your ancestry or ethnicity please check all that apply and i so i said european or white because i am very white so next and very european next question uh, have you ever been diagnosed with or treated for any of the following conditions basal cell carcinoma no squamous cell carcinoma that sounds fun you no. should you should click that melanoma mm-hmm. no bladder cancer no Brain cancer, no. Oh, God. Breast cancer, no. Are you sure? Colorectal cancer, no. Kidney renal cancer, Aaron's got a healthy butt. Leukemia, no. This is getting really personal. Lung cancer, no. Pancreatic cancer, no. This is going on for a long time. Prostate cancer, thyroid. Oh, wait. Was that the last one? No. Diabetes. (laughs) Of course not. (laughs) Type 1 diabetes, type 2 diabetes. There's so many other diseases that exist, and they're going to ask you all of them. High blood pressure. Do you think they could just figure this out when they run the test? Okay, the test is done. (laughs) Now spit the tube and look at it. Maybe I should do this part later, because this is going on forever. Okay, finish it. Let me just spit in this tube. And then, okay, (laughs) but... I'll fill this out later. We promise to send it, and once we get the results in, we'll talk about it. Yeah. We'll find out uh, what's wrong with me, where my ancestors came from etc all right so here we go 
uh, for the, those listening at home, there is like a weird little thing from the DNA Genotech. It even sounds like a uh, like a. It's about six inches, maybe yeah, six less. Inches long, and it says fill to this line, and it looks like I have to fill up the entire thing. But you don't. It's a few centimeters. All right. So. Or half an go. inch, maybe. Ugh. I get that oh, nice I can't, audio. I can't watch. I'm not looking forward to editing that audio. Warning. The following contains gross sounds that you may not want to hear. If you do not wish to hear these gross, gross sounds, please cover your ears with both hands. Or, if you are driving, simply turn down the radio. Aaron, you may now continue fellatio with a plastic tube. Oh, God. What? Where did it go? I feel like... <laughs> did you just spit on your hand? On your you just iPad? spit on the table. <laughs> it's so foamy. Have you drank anything in the last week? I've been talking this whole time. Yeah, whose fault is that? <laughs> Alright, so this is not working. Maybe you should drink some Foam water. just came out of my mouth. And then finish it in ten minutes. How I thought did- DNA tests were just like a swab. You just... Put on the inside of your cheek. Oh, you know what? I just saw... It says... Uh, this takes the usual person about five to ten minutes to fill. Ew. All right. So, that took way longer than expected. We minutes just edited later. out, like, five minutes of me spitting into this tube. It was um, horrifying. So, next step is to close the funnel. That's step three. So, let's try that. We're going to pinch this little thing shut. That took way longer than we thought it would. Minutes later, we okay. had to pause. Okay, so closing that thing, it just dumped a weird chemical down into my saliva. Uh, and Does it? it? Yeah, there was a little b- bag of weird yeah, there saliva, was. which I have to assume strips the DNA out. Or just so, or maybe it. maybe that was the spit you missed with so the I first time. So I do that, and then I... Okay, so now I remove the funnel. And chug. And, and drink it. Now I uh, I screw on the cap, which is over here. Oh, so it's like a little vial now. It is like a little vial now. Now I shake for five seconds. One, one thousand, two, two one thousand, three, three, one thousand, four, four one thousand, five, five, one thousand. You've got DNA. <laughs> <laughs> you have dino uh, DNA. Now I seal it in this biohazard bag. So appeal to expose adhesive. Now we're just doing, you know... We're just basic. closing a, 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 a basic bag closing procedure. This is really important. Up next on My Arms Are Lasers, we'll close envelopes. And close the bag. <laughs> DNA Genotech Biospecimen Bag Biohazard. That's I, literally what this bag says. Do you hand it to... <laughs> Do you hand it to the postman like that, or do you put it inside it? I put it envelope? inside this box, which okay. we will not put on. I it. kind of, <laughs> I kind of want you to hand the and then biohazard I, bag to the mailman. So he'll and then it. I give this box to an old man uh, in a hat with an amber cane. <laughs> <laughs> and then I learn about the wonders of Dino DNA. All right, let's be clear. In this book, there are very few dinosaurs. There's very few. In, in fact, in fact, one. one might say none. I don't know. If you watch Jurassic Park, they all they all uh, became birds, and there is a bird in this. That's true. And also, he does mention Costa Rica, and Costa Rica in his uh, Jurassic Park and Lost World books um, plays a role. So Could this that's the same universe. It could be. 
Well, here's a, a while we're on the topic of Jurassic Park. <laughs> of course, we're going to talk about Jurassic I, Park. Well, first of all, I feel like there are a few scenes in this that are like him like apologizing for Jurassic Park. Well, no, what? no, Jurassic Park is great, but there's Did a couple you points. Ever apologize. There's a couple points where he's like, "Okay, so Jurassic Park probably couldn't happen. Give me a break." But well, no, everyone knows that it couldn't <laughs> actually happen. But the but the fact that he framed a story about creating dinosaurs in a way that was believable. Is what is so amazing about that book because it, it it reads like it could happen. That's what's True. fun about it. But like the opening, the opening to the book. I'm is, sorry, guys. My sci-fi book couldn't really happen. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But, but the opening, <laughs> the opening to the book. I gave is, people hope. The opening to the book is literally. It's basically Dennis Nedry. Am I wrong? What what has it open? I it opens with a guy anything. stealing genetic material. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. And then being tracked down and then being and then dying. Yeah, I will say <laughs> that's Dennis say, Nedry. The way it's written, but Dennis is Nedry very... also dies in Jurassic Park. Yeah, I know. So he was just like, "Here's but another like, person dying." Then, but then, but then Dave, I think, was an apology for Congo because because broke, there's a long paragraph where he's like, "Okay, okay, guys, I realize that humans and apes can't actually breed together on their own." Okay, but here's how it could happen, <laughs> and then that's what Dave was. I just, I just think he was like, let me write about genetics instead of my usual, more fictiony fiction. I thought it was kind of cool that he was doing little nods to like his past explorations, yeah. but maybe that was, just, maybe I was reading too much into it. But anyway, I have a quote from Jurassic Park here that I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> okay. Uh, so this is when uh, Gennaro and Grant are discussing Velociraptors. Okay, how smart are they? He said. If you think of them as birds, Grant said, then you have to wonder. Some new studies show that the gray parrot has more symbolic intelligence as a, as a chimpanzee, and chimpanzees can definitely use language. Now researchers are finding that parrots have the emotional development of a three-year-old child, but their intelligence is unquestioned. Parrots can definitely reason symbolically. But I've never heard of anybody killed by a parrot, Gennaro grumbled. <laughs> dun dun dun. Did they say in this book that uh, parrots are self-aware, like they know yeah. when they see themselves in a mirror. They yeah. know who They're, they are, yeah. and like I think orangutans also have that. There's a, a few animals that do, not dogs, because they bark at themselves in the in the <laughs> patio door. So, based on that, you would think that this was, if this was a callback to that, Gerard would become like a psycho killer and then just pretend <laughs> to be a parrot, like, I don't know what's happening, and then he would murder someone in their sleep. So, in an offshoot of this book, Aaron writes fan fiction about Gerard, the serial killer parrot. Hanging out with he, Grant from he Jurassic Park. He did have Park. some psycho parts. <laughs> he was a, a like, really cool Like, he could cool be very character. controlling at times. Yeah, he, he was very smart. And it was uncanny. <laughs> but and I also have this small feeling like Aaron thought we were going to do Jurassic Park today. No, I just thought that was a relevant <laughs> quote since they were both about It was because it involved yes, uh, uh, Michael Crichton's favorite animals, apparently. <laughs> chimps and uh, parrots. Yeah, birds. And dinosaurs. Since we seem to be talking about Gerard now because he's so great. Um, I uh, <laughs> found a website that collected all of his movie quotes. <laughs> what? I, all right, yeah, I was... I really wanted to know what he was yelling at that woman in French. I know. Okay, so and, and I have was... I have the answer. Awesome. So just uh, just to be clear, Gerard is a transgenic gray uh, parrot, African gray, and so he has uh, some human DNA that helps his speech ability. And he was very chatty throughout the whole book, and was very smart, and used his intelligence to 
control the humans around him yeah. and well why the, why the scientist was off uh either banging her uh, mystery dude yeah <laughs> or husband or um at the lab she would just leave the parrot in the house and turn on the tv but it, she was working in france so he learned a lot of french stuff yeah. yeah, actually had a French accent too. Probably surprisingly, okay. So I got the website up now. Surprisingly, a lot of his quotes not not only just come from French stuff, but they also come from like old classic movies. Like most of his quotes are from stuff from like the the forties, fifties, and sixties. Mm-hmm. So what the game I wanted to play was a, a big part of this <laughs> book, right? Like one of Gerard's big tactics that he uses, like when he doesn't like something, is that he drives the person insane yeah. by just quoting things over and over again. And and so I wanted to see if I just went through and read all of these in like a Gerard voice, how far you guys could get before you'd have to tap out. Uh, so just say like, all right, I'm done. And then I'll keep going until every, everybody is out. Oh, okay. t- t- just not, not guessing. Yeah, not, I, I not thought you were going to have us movies. guess the movies. We'll talk about the movies later. Okay. But just real quick, I just want to read the quotes in a Gerard voice and see how long you guys can put up with it until you're like, all right, I give up, Gerard. I don't know. Get up, get it's the fuck probably going to be a while. Well, let's, let's see. Let's try, I guess. All right. So, <laughs> you look good, baby. I've missed you. Okay, if you insist. Oh, 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 you tried to sit, trick me. I love a parade. Am I a star? Am I a star? We're just, we're sorry we're late, but we had to pick up our son, Hank. Now, Joe, just take it easy. I need a bath before any filming. You promised me a bath. I'd probably be hey, ni- <laughs> hey, nice place, Gail. Way to go. I was just saying that. I mean, I was just saying that. Just an observation. Looking around to see if I have a gun. <laughs> I hope they're watching. They'll see. They'll see, and they'll say, "Why she wouldn't even harm a fly?" Yep. You kid. Gun. <laughs> you kidnapped me, Riley. Doghouse, Riley. Yeah. Oh, damn it! There's no bullets. <laughs> You're the reason our kids are so ugly, little darling. All right, bird, out of the car. I can probably <laughs> throw this gun at the bird. <laughs> okay, so that that's the sort of sh- the shit that Gerard was just constantly saying. So here's some of the sources for those quotes, just so you know. Uh, I Love a Parade is obviously from the 1932 film, I Love a Parade. I love a parade. Um, that Aaron wrote and directed it. Yes. Uh, now, the, the, the thing saying, um, we're sorry we're late, but we had to pick up our son, Hank. Now, Joe, just take it easy. That's from The Man Who Knew Too Much, 1956. <laughs> um, I hope they're watching. They'll see. They'll see and they'll say why she wouldn't even harm a fly. That's from the film Psycho, 1960. Oh, um, what about? Oh, really? what, why don't we do one that um, that saved Dave's life later on? Um, it was the "Do you feel lucky?" Uh, that was oh, yeah. That was from Dirty Harry. Dirty Harry, yeah. Yeah. So Gerard, that was from Home Alone. Much later in the book, when the storylines interweave, that also did sound like like the quote from Home Alone. Um, at the end of the book, when the storylines are interweaving, Dave, our transgenic chimp, is about to be killed by a bounty hunter through a twist of fate and uh, gerard is nearby and starts quoting dirty harry which scares away the bounty hunter who like, thinks so you do you look, feel lucky punk and then he starts going bang 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 and yeah the, and like the gangster gets out of there the yeah bounty hunter runs away because he he he's like i oh i don't know where that voice is coming from and and uh the but gerard either inadvertently or perhaps on purpose, mm-hmm. saves uh, Dave, the transgenic chimp. Yeah. 
There's also a few other lines that he says around there. Like he says, my, my, such, such a lot of guns around town and so few brains. That's from The Big Sleep, 1946. Mm. <laughs> he says, what's up, Doc? Obviously, Bugs Bunny. Uh, right. you, uh, there is one that's kind of funny. This is the line where I think gets him kicked out of the car what, uh, so, and gets left on the side of the road for jackals to eat him. He says, mellow, mellow greetings, ookie dookie. You remind me of a man. And then he the uses that like, one a lot. Oh, no. This... All right. This right. I'm going to do this one because this okay. is my favorite part in the whole book. Do it. It's him and Stan. He and the teenager are taking this cross-country trip. And this right before he gets kicked out. He drove forward into the night. You remind me of a man, Gerard said. You promised, Stan said. No, you're supposed to say, what man? Gerard, shut up. You remind me of a man, Gerard said. What man? The man with the power. What power? The power of hoodoo. Hoodoo, Stan said. You do. Do what? Remind me of a man. (laughs) What man, Stan said. And then he got it. It's from this song. You guys know what song I'm I'm talking about? Well, it's actually from the film The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer in 1947, which I think was then sampled in a song. Let's play it. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah, I got this. <laughs> oh wait. <laughs> That's so he's just singing that over and over yes. again. <laughs> and yeah, that was my first. Yeah, I think I, the there was a passage in the book. I, I I might be misquoted, but he said, you know, for a while it was kind of interesting because it was like listening to radio from another co- from a foreign country, <laughs> but then it became really obnoxiously repetitious. So just to to briefly round out Gerard's journey. His owner's husband kicks him out of the house because he can't stand him. He ends up almost being sold to a really wealthy wife to placate her. But on the private jet over, um, Gerard starts quoting the stewardesses on the private jet in front of the, the wealthy old husband and making him very uncomfortable and showing that he's repeating basically all the sexual liaisons that were yeah. happening on the plane and he's like maybe i won't give this parrot to it's my a running wife. theme in this book yeah <laughs> yeah we'll have to get more into that so then gerard ends up at a pet store and then he ends up on a cross-country journey to have a new owner he gets kicked out of the car and through twists of fate ends up interweaving with other plot lines before finally finding a loving home which we can get more into later yeah but uh, earlier, I think you mentioned, I don't know if this is on camera or not, or on camera, on tape or, or not, but uh, you were wondering, there's a period where he gets into an argument talking in French. Oh, yeah. There, this is also during the, the road trip. The road trip with yeah. Stan. Someone pulls out in front, or you you know, you're... I have it up right okay. here. Okay. So, he, so he, he just starts saying, le soleil c'est beau. And then, and then he's like, "I don't speak French, Gerard." And then he's like, "Le femme volant c'est la chute des personnes." I know what that means. I looked that up. What is that? I mean? was going to do the whole thing, but that was a lot of work because I don't speak French. It means something like "women drivers" is a coward is cowardice personified. personified. <laughs> That's good. Well, the whole line is actually from the 1960 um, French New Wave film Breathless. Breathless. <laughs> um, so he's the 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 dialogue is just dialogue from the movie. It says like the sun is beautiful. Wim, women drivers are cowardice personified. Uh, why didn't you pass him? 
Uh, so it's it's actually a conversation about driving, <laughs> but in French. It's like, why are you driving so slow, essentially, is what Gerard was saying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is me every day in L.A. Ger- Gerard is pretty great. We all love Gerard. He's, yeah. He's fantastic. Do you guys ever think you would have a bird in your old age? <sighs> no, I don't know. I, they're I, so noisy. They're noisy. Yeah, I, but the one that concerns me is they're very long-lived. Yeah. Like... I, I've heard of a couple of friends, like high school friends, that their grandparents had like a bird in their old age, and then it was bequeathed to their parents, and then their parents are like, we're getting pretty old, you're gonna have to take this parrot soon. Like, <laughs> parrots can live up to like 30 or 40 years if they are taken care of. So, you know, it becomes like an heirloom pet. It's, like, do you it's really just want to- a burden that your grandparents put on you. Yeah, it's like, it's like adopting a tortoise, you know? Like, a tortoise <laughs> can live like 200 years. <laughs> this is a burden you're putting on your great-grandchildren that you'll never meet. You gotta take care of this tortoise now. Well, I think... But um, if it was a transgenic tortoise, I might... If, if, if he could be like, hey, man, what's going on? If, if the tortoise could talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, I think it'd be good to talk about the Frank Burnett storyline, because that was a really interesting genetic quandary. Sure. And just Burnett's to reiterate... the... Okay, yeah. His the cell line. cells. Yeah. So basically, his through whole- a legal loophole, Frank Burnett's cells, and by extension, maybe him, is now... And oh, his children. And his Not children... fucking legal loophole. Are, are, fucking bullshit. are owned by UCLA, because Stupid. they were able to patent his and I hate physical it. cells. Now, I think the reason why Nick is having such a visceral reaction <laughs> is because... Because Crichton did a good job of presenting it in a way that was clearly so unfair. But at the time that he wrote the book, this stuff kind of was happening. Yeah. You know, people could patent genes and and a corporation or a college could own okay. a gene. And um, th- they quoted this trial in, in the book mm-hmm. and they used it on the basis of Burnett. But they, they said it was uh, Moore versus UCLA or the Moore case of 1980. In in real life, it was 1990, which maybe he moved it back to show that they made more progress mm-hmm. in in genetic uh, research. So basically, the yeah. same thing yeah, happened. It's the but same they thing. kept his cells and were trying to yeah. use yeah. them. So what? What C- his cancer was later developed into a cell line that was commercialized, and he was cut out of it. Yeah, the yeah. California Supreme Court ruled that cells. Moore had no right to any share of the profits realized from the commercialization. So of even though developed, yeah. so, so even though it was just his cells, he didn't get any money from his body being used for science. So w- the way Crichton develops this idea to its like horrible logical conclusion is that well, if if Frank Burnett's cell lines are, are owned, then his kids are also owned. And what happens in the book is that. Frank Burnett's cell culture gets destroyed by uh, sabotage, and so the company, rather than just going under, then tries to find Frank Burnett and claim his cells and say, you have to come in so we can get more cells. But they can't find Frank Burnett. So instead, they talk to this sleazy, like... The big corporate hunter. lawyer, and then he, the lawyer's like, well, you can just hire a, a bounty hunter, and because Frank Burnett's cells are technically in his children and his grandchildren, you can send a bounty hunter to go get the cells from them, 
and all descendants of Frank Burnett. And what that means is that basically any of the grandchildren or the children can be kidnapped, put into a lab room, and have punch biopsies done of their liver, spleen, have blood taken, basically be strapped down and have parts of their bodies removed so that this company can recover the cell line. That is what is happening. Yeah. yeah and so the like a, me off. <laughs> so a big part of the book... That's the biggest reaction I've yeah. had to a book. <laughs> so a big part of the book is this the bounty hunter chasing down his daughter Alex, who happens to be a civil defense lawyer, and her, My favorite and mm-hmm. her, her yeah. son, Frank's grandson, uh, as they're kind of like on the lam trying to escape from this guy who is driving in like a fake ambulance trying to shove them in the back and take their cell lines. Yeah, so and like, there was, the woman's a lawyer. That's a little bit harder. I'll go after the child. That, yeah. that will be yeah. easier. And there was this great passage where the mother, uh, the lawyer, is going over in her head if she has a legal basis to shoot and kill the bounty hunter and she basically decides probably yes because he's trying to kidnap my child so you know what screw it i'm going to i'm going to kill this man next yeah. time i see him and she but, gets a sawed off shotgun the way that she gets the shotgun is genius yeah she just no, no she distracts the hotel employee who admitted he had a gun for some stupid reason and then steals it from yeah, yeah. from Calls the it motel to, yeah yeah she was pretty great and and um, basically, like the whole the whole court case, really, just. Uh, so why did it get overturned? So okay, so here I have an update. I have an oh, update. Good. I have I have some good news. <laughs> um, FYI, this well, book was written in 2006. So yes. Obviously, it's 2014. Some things have changed since uh, the book was written. right. And actually, we realized I, we had common sense and say, oh, maybe I can't just get a person and I, probe them. Right. I actually want to read. Um, a quote from Michael Crichton. Why? We've been reading his words all weeks. <laughs> okay. Let's read a quote from Isaac Asimov. <laughs> so Michael Crichton says in an interview uh, that was in the um, afterword of my uh, Kindle copy, I oppose patenting genes and argue such patents should never have been granted in the first place. The genome is our common heritage going back millions of years, and it is absurd that anyone should own any part of it. I hope this book helps undo gene gene patents. The practice is obstructive and even dangerous. And so then my update is, (laughs) as of, uh, I think, about 2013... The U.S. Supreme Court has ruled unanimously that natural human genes cannot be patented, a decision that scientists and civil rights campaigners said removed a major barrier to patient care and medical innovation. Yay, we won. So Michael Crichton won. His book did it. (laughs) Michael Crichton did it. He helped. So Aaron, your, your spit is safe. Well, from patent, from gene patents, at least. My my medical history and information. I mean, I guess Obamacare made it so that, like, if my grandchildren find out that the insurance companies learn that I have some predisposition to Alzheimer's or something, they can't get denied medical insurance. That's Just, good. Oh yeah, that that was a, unless that a gets big. undone by Google when it becomes our corporate. I mean, overlord. that that sort of ties into the part of the book with the 
divorce where they were trying yeah. to use this woman's um you know genetic makeup against her to say that she shouldn't care for her children because she's predisposed to a certain illness yeah so that that was that's what the big controversy about 23 me has been essentially reiterating the controversies in this book and which is why i actually had a, a minor crisis of uh, of faith where i was like should i do this i mean like but then i was like you know what by the time that really becomes an issue 40 years from now in the gene wars or whatever <laughs> i'll be an old man we'll, we'll have cares? our own clone wars that's my grandchildren to deal with you'll be you'll be an old man with a bird yeah with a, a transgenic bird but in the book the judge ruled the judge wrapped up that case by, um, I've ruled that Biogen's ownership of Mr. Burnett's cells does not entitle them to take the, those cells from any individual, living or dead, including Mr. Burnett himself. Certainly cells cannot be taken from members of his immediate or extended family. Any contrary ruling would conflict with the 13th Amendment forbidding slavery. Right, because basically, you know, if if something was taken from him during a procedure and the college wants to keep it, that is one thing, but th that specific they, they sample is by itself. Yeah, they changed yeah. the They rules. can't just forever own that person and be able to take them yeah, and strap them silly. down and, and take pieces from them, which was the natural implication that, I, you know, from being able to patent genes that Creighton really wanted to drive home, he was like, where would it end? Yeah. A lot of my notes in my Kindle are, are just just like oh fuck that that's stupid bullshit <laughs> dumb what what <laughs> giant cockroach no oh, oh yeah. no never oh, God. so among the other transgenic animals that were mentioned was uh some like an art an artist like that was one aspect i thought was kind of uh cool was the book is peppered throughout with these little kind of fake news articles that right. are that are openly satirizing how uh, the media covers science reporting and how it's all so sensationalized that it really muddies the waters and makes it impossible mm -hmm. or like for what real truth to come out. Or what makes the news is so ridiculous. Yeah, and, and then scientists in turn start publishing stuff before it's ready hoping to get that buzz so then they get investors and then make money rather than advanced science <laughs> we announced that, that we're to. thinking about announcing that yeah right and so that's a big part of it but one of those little announcements was that an artist a genetic artist which is something i i don't know if that's really come about maybe it's started to happen but the, this concept of gene artists who will create transgenic animals for artistic purposes and one of those was giant three-foot Cockroaches. About this, a lar little larger than a oh. than a large dachshund. Yeah, uh, um, for people to have as pets. Uh, I, on this Horrifying. website that has the things from the novel that are real under giant cockroaches um, as GM pets, uh, it was proposed by an artist who put up photographs on the internet. Okay, but it was. I don't never know if he actually did. Through. Maybe just and put up big I think photographs. I think in that same article uh, was where they talked about someone else who's working on forever puppies yeah. who who just stay puppies forever and what was most disturbing That's just awesome. <laughs> well, but what was most disturbing about that article was was that the scientist was quoted as saying, "Well, right now they don't grow teeth, um, but we're not going to market them that way. We're going to work on that and figure out how to make sure that they grow teeth so they're not just gumless like gummy, gummy puppies, puppies forever." Gummy puppies. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just disturbing because they're not yeah. supposed to be like that. There, there right. are there are transgenic pets though. Those do exist there's um there's glow-in-the-dark fish 
right, uh, which are in that the are book. mentioned in the book. Those are real. There, uh, and there's also glow in the dark cats, which I don't know if oh. they're mentioned in the book. But, the, but that, the, that those have been created. I don't know if they've been sold as pets yet. They may have been, but they're they're both created by taking a specific gene out of a bioluminescent jellyfish, right. and then inserting it into the embryos of cats and you know other re- goldfish right. or whatever so that they literally glow in the dark or under black light Ooh. and in the in the book uh Crichton took it a step further with the idea of putting ads on animals yeah, yeah. <laughs> like on the shell of a tur- turtle did we ever figure out who did that by the way in the book that was something I oh was it Be- it was either watson or bellamino that no, was some guy it. was proposing it and then they're like dude bro it's already happened man i think and i, th- it I cut think to the glowing turtles yeah i think w- what they said was it's already happened in what yeah. you just described that has happened oh no it was that uh that radical oh artist. the environmentalist that was arrested but yeah the, he was arrested but then he was released because they were he like, didn't oh, actually he's an do idiot it and he doesn't know how to do this yeah oh, yeah, yeah they, they actually said in the book that oh wait this happened five to ten years ago so i think There's, maybe that was supposed to be a mystery like yeah they, no it, it, it's yeah so a lot of the stories didn't wrap up though yeah <laughs> well i think also though that that was something that really did happen so he didn't have to give a character an answer like you, yeah. like, like you said we've done that i don't think we've made glowing turtle shells though I think we've made glowing cats. Well, can can we just talk about briefly the pitch on the ads on animals? I oh, thought yeah. it was dumb. interesting how it was <laughs> saying <note>. dumb. <laughs> they was they were trying to put a spin on it that, that it would actually help endangered species because a company like the Jaguar car could put its oh, logo on jaguars and it could yeah. be the Jaguar Jaguar and then it would just always have the name on and the then, side. And then instead of you know corporations being like we don't give they a shit about the environment, they would always want to take care of that animal and it would actually give it a genetic advantage to proliferate. It, as long as it extinguished the non-Jaguar I Jaguar. think they should do that anyways, but just not brand it. Well, brand is a different... They yeah, should. They but. should just invest in environmental... <laughs> and regular Jaguar. Yeah. Jackie the Jaguar. Um. Yeah, and then uh, even in the book, Crichton had the audience just not getting into it. Yeah, <laughs> they're like, are you insane? They're like, well, it's already happened. He, he could... I think it was the um, inner monologue of the, the guy speaking. He could tell when he loses an audience and but he he's like usually losing I get it. The yeah, yeah but i mean because honestly they're already advertising everywhere so the thought of of stamping nature was just like too much it was just terrifying <laughs> the, the beginning was the best of that speech he's like all right everywhere you look is ads which we all know who went to like high school or had one college course right you it, see thousands of ads but what about nature the <laughs> untapped Place for ads. <laughs> the, so, the most logical ending. I really wanted to find out. The thing that caught me, I was like, is this real or not? Because I, I feel like I would have heard about it if it was, and it's clearly not true. Was Hitler and Stalin wanting to create a uh, hybrid That's true. human eights? That it is, is not. true. It's not? Human no. what? What? I thought it was That's true. That's not what Hitler was about. Wait, Nick, I don't I didn't hear what you said. Oh, in the book it's mentioned that Hitler and Stalin wanted to create man apes. Man apes? Um, yeah, uh Stalin wanted to use soldiers and probably Hitler too. Um, according to the research that wasn't what they were doing with with I mean they were doing a lot a, of experiments. There, there was a Russian scientist that proposed it and didn't go anywhere and people say he was ordered by Stalin. But 
Oh, I thought so. I, was the Hitler thing? Do you have more information than me? I this don't. was just me. I think searching. I just saw it briefly mentioned in a documentary I watched a few years yeah. ago called Human. I mean, it's all myth. Well, it, it, it's it, myth I in mean, our world too. The, but. the reason why it instantly hits me as off is because Hitler was obsessed with the Aryan mm. race and yeah. the purity of it. I feel like he wouldn't want to. That's not his create, mo. Yeah. yeah, create like a chimp Aryan. That wouldn't make sense. <laughs> well, I don't but, think it was a chimp Aryan. I think maybe he was going to breed it with like the lesser people in his view. Maybe, and maybe then create like basically a slave race. Well, actually, on that note, let's talk about Dave. Because um, also one of my my favorite quotes is the end of the book. But before we do that, we should talk about Dave. Sure. Dave, so, Dave, good gorilla. So, yeah. Amy, good Amy, gorilla. good gorilla. So Dave, Dave is a four-year-old human Z. Who's he's only taken, four. Yeah, he's only four okay. years old. Uh, so, but he has like the strength of a young chimpanzee. Right. And but but that's why he's like he herded him. It's not because he's like dumb. It's because he's a four-year-old. Right. Uh, well, he, well, let's let's back up. Okay. Dave Let me is back up. Dave is a transgenic chimp human who lives with. The scientist who Henry Kendall, yeah, who yeah. crossed the who, his own DNA with a chimp hybrid when he was working at Biogen, and he took him home and he's raising him with the family that we so, talked about earlier. How do you tell your wife that you have a monkey son? <laughs> how would you? How do you? <laughs> how do you pitch that? I think he did a pretty good job. Yeah, I mean, but what what I what I loved about their household is that Lynn, the mother, actually ends up being the strong parent figure, right. which was great. And I loved how Crichton got into the fact that chimps really um, they are connected to the mothers. They don't really have they don't have father figures in the yeah, wild. In chimp society, the fathers kind of you know they have they, sex and then they're like, well, see you, whatever. Right, they have and multiple partners. So yeah, they yeah. Knew which the moms one. have multiple partners that they don't so, keep track of so the it's, fathers. It's really a matriarchal society, so. It, it makes sense that ingrained in Dave, if he had those chimp instincts, he would be gravitated to the mom, right? Not to which the dad. he is, and what and it was also great how whenever, you know, if someone doesn't like him, he refers to that as well. He's not with my mother, which means he's 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 against, he's, us. He's yeah. against us, or he throws poop at them. Well, yes. Let's get into the <laughs> bullying. What with was great accuracy? They put. Dave in school with other kids and what instantly arises is when he gets bullied he reacts like a chimp and he yeah. he can really hurt kids which why did we see this coming yeah. <laughs> which makes sense because chimps are so they have such heightened sort of ag- aggression uh, right. behavior that that element would be very pronounced in him and he always tried to only save his brother his fully human brother Jamie Jamie too you know he would stick <laughs> up for him but in a way that that couldn't that was over what the human kids were would actually do. I mean, you know, first he bit a kid and almost, you know, threw his hand. Yeah. And then that kid comes back with a bunch of skateboarders. Street tops. Blindsides him. Yeah. And gets so, him with skateboards. Into a fence and then Temp, uh, I think he temples Jamie while he's down. Yeah. No, he kicks him while in the Yeah, groin. he starts kicking him while he's down, and that's when he starts launching poop at them. Yeah, so Dave climbs a high fence and just starts throwing poop And then the bully just them. turns and opens his mouth, and poop like, goes right all, in his all mouth. The, all <laughs> the cronies, all the sixth grade cronies, like, backed off. Yeah, they're yeah. like, ew, well, I mean, it worked. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then he's like, well, I'll come back with a gun. And then... And he does. And he does. And then, but... Then there's this, that really great scene where where like he goes full chimp and starts like chasing yeah. him down. Yeah, he could run on fours. I like the touch that he was 
running in the grass because the concrete hurt his yeah. knuckles. And then and then uh, basically psychs him out, and so he gets trapped in the car when the cops show up, and there's like, there's an ape man chasing me, and you're like, okay, buddy, whatever, you're going to jail. I like, right. I like the part right before that where he's inside the car, he's like, no, they'll see that it's clearly self-defense. Surely. <laughs> sure. I only wanted to scare him, is all. With my gun. gun shooting at him. Yeah. Right. I hope you go to jail, kid. So that was, that's really the, the meat and potatoes. Oh, eventually, Dave's storyline and the Burnett's storyline intertwine when you find out that the that Alex Burnett, the daughter who's being hunted by the bounty hunter for a genius, The lawyer with a gun. Was, was childhood friends with the, the wife who has a chimp son. With Lynn, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and yeah. they both so, have sons named Jamie. They both have sons named Jamie, so there's a moment at the end where the bounty hunter grabs the wrong Jamie, then grabs the right Jamie, and, and then they and end up... They, and then they assemble a ragtag army of, like, chimp hybrids and <laughs> and human... Task parent, force grab. Human Jamie parents who help and out. Jamie one. At, at the very end, Dave and Jamie, they're all okay, and the transgenic parrot Gerard, they all live together in their transgenic household and there's a news article which i thought was yeah. funny that covers them like you thought a blended family meant you know if a homosexual couple um raises a family but no the future is a transgenic <laughs> family or you can have like a human parrot hybrid and if you really want to be cutting, cutting edge you'll get a transgenic monkey and talking about um what we, we what we were just talking about with world war ii and everything i just want to read the very, very end of the book. This is how the book ends. We won. Okay. We won. So the book ends. And one autumn day, while Dave was walking with Henry at the county fair holding Henry's hand, a farmer in overalls came up and said, I'd like to get me one of them to work on my farm. <laughs> that gave Henry oh. a chill. Yeah, it gave me chills, too. Uh, there are a lot of parts of this book that gave me chills. And that's, I mean, that is something that really gets you thinking, like, wow, we better be prepared that, that that's not something that can happen. Because that, I mean, it, it would be slavery to create human chimps and and work them on a farm well there is a way to get around that the the, the whole 13th <laughs> amendment rule if it's just indentured servitude if they're bred to be not terribly smart and the only and then society puts pressure on them to only have jobs in the field aaron listen to what you're saying i'm just saying like there's I'm just a, letting you do your own let's have here. like a let's uh, have a, a chimp race that does all of our dirty work for us but see that it, it just opens. That sounds like that sounds like a horrifying huh. science fiction novel. Then, that in itself could be a new book. And then we leap forward a thousand years, and then we have the Morlocks and the Eloys, and yes. it's H.G. Wells where, where they machine. overthrow us. Right, and then it's Planet of the Apes, and that's and a whole another story we can cover. See, there's so which, many cool divergent timelines. Which animal would you transgenet? I think I already transgene with a human. I, guess. I think I already chose a tortoise because I think that'd be pretty cool to have like a, a an like a really smart creature yeah, that's I like three hundred years old chatting with a tortoise. Ooh, I know. Until you both die of old age. <laughs> I want a dolphin because they're really smart and they can tell you the secrets of the ocean. Yeah, I want the secrets of the ocean. <laughs> I'm. I'm I'd, um, I was gonna say I'd do it with a dog, but that sounds wrong. Uh, <laughs> That's one way. To I'd make a half animals. human, half dog. Well, that also sounds all right. A dog. What if it just had a human face? Because then we'd just be best friends, and then it would just be me playing frisbee with myself or as a dog. I mean, I I definitely think that a chimp is would be just fascinating because they would be able to, like Dave, be sort of human. 
I, crazy. I would I would breed it with a giraffe so I could have like a tall friend who could help me out of jams. You guys want to watch Island of Dr. Moreau? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we could read that too. So why don't we, you know, we mentioned all the sexy time earlier and we haven't gotten into it. This book had a lot of sex <laughs> to help okay. spice up all the genetics. <laughs> spice up. Um, there was a lot of sex it, in this it book. It was kind of pulling a little Game of Thrones-ish thing. Yeah, where was. whenever there was some boring exposition, it'd be like, she had huge knockers. Yeah. Okay, I loved the uh, CEO of Biogen's quest to make his mistress feel oh. or do something oh, yeah. in bed. He's yeah. like, maybe it's a genetic disorder where she does. She just lays she, there in bed. Where she can't have an orgasm. And so right. he studies. And she's like young. She's like 20. He's she's an older beautiful. dude. Beautiful. All the dudes want her. But she uh, just is the like other whatever. pedophile had sex with her. Other pedophile. The pedophile guy. Oh, yeah. That was weird. Yeah. The pedophile <laughs> storyline. I think I actually missed a chapter. I was doing the audiobook too. I missed his entry. He was the one that met that Asian girl. Was she a plant? What happened there? Yes. Yeah, that was a plant she by was, the security she was a force. Plant, the security force that was trying, that you find out was actually not the security force, but rather an espionage uh, yeah. thing. Trying with Frank Burnett. Was what well, that was their way of destroying Frank Burnett's cell line. Right. So that the other company could take it. But there is another throwaway mention of... Uh, of oh, even darker pederasty? Yeah. And well, I have something interesting to say to that. If we want to pause for a second, I have to... Sure, but well, while, while you are looking that up, let's just explain this character a little bit more. Okay, he works so, at Biogen. Mm-hmm. As a security guard, he's horrible at, at it. And he has a propensity to like younger girls, like middle school. So he's essentially... He, he goes to middle school soccer games and just, just so watches, he can watch. Yeah, like he... They, they don't have him doing anything specifically besides being a super creepster and watching younger girls. And then while he's at one of the games, there's a young Asian girl who's maybe 18, 19, who hits on him. And she says she's out of college. Yeah, she, you know, but she basically hooks him. And what we find out is that she is a plant intended to get him out of the way um, so Biogen can be infiltrated. Yeah, so they could post Yeah, so her. then there's a whole side story where he has to get a lawyer and... You know, um, he's related to the owner of the company, and they have to cover this up. And the lawyers basically says, D- you have to engage in thrill-seeking behavior so that when we come to the actual courtroom uh, trial, we can say, oh, well, he's, why would you flee He's bail? genetically wired to be attracted to high-intense situations. Situations, including pederasty. or Well, pedophilia. actually, no, in- including high-risk sex partners, including yeah. mm-hmm. the wife of one of his uh, his old boss. And to basically say that he has the thrill-seeking gene, it is not his fault that he engages in this behavior, it's his genetics. Eventually, you find out that that's just the advice of a really <laughs> terrible lawyer. Yeah. yeah. But- <laughs> and he picks up fight one of the funnier moments of the book is he picks a fight with two guys that he thinks he could take but they turn out to be like uh jujitsu champions yeah and they had steel toe cowboy boots and they break his jaw yeah and i mean essentially his storyline is he has a mental breakdown and and picks a fight and or like interprets a fight incorrectly and ends up shooting um mr Um, bellarmino and that's how that storyline wraps up there's actually one other uh mention of pedophilia in this book it's a very brief throwaway one yeah in reference to another one and here's an interesting thing i found about that Uh, let me just read this too oh you did michael Crichton slurs a critic uh 
So basically, try to believe this really happened. In retaliation for negative coverage, Michael Crichton depicts a thinly veiled version of the New Republic's Michael Crowley, a real reporter who slammed him for his previous book, as a pedophile who rapes his two-year-old nephew in Next. Really? Yes. Yeah, Wait, the character's let's... name is Mick Crowley, and the actual um, article's What's author the... is... is Michael Crowley. Here's the little backstory. The previous book that Michael Crichton was it State of Fear? wrote was called State of Fear, yep, which was that. widely panned by a lot of people as being... Uh, the, the plot of State of Fear was that eco-terrorists essentially stage all these fake natural disasters and kill hundreds of people to raise alarm of global warming, which doesn't exist. They, that, like, it, it was, a lot of people said this is like anti-global warming nut uh, mm. propaganda, and so a lot of authors, including uh, Michael Crowley, slammed it as saying, like, you know, this is really sort of anti-scientific and you never should have written this. But wait, and I have read that book and I will say that it did not come off to me as, I mean, I, I maybe I have to reread it, as anti-global warming. It just basically, what it was showing is that, you know, like a very common thing is that people, as soon as they're scared, they believe whatever comes next so as 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 long as people are scared people can throw anything at them they won't research it they won't wait the appropriate amount of time for you know results to come in they'll just jump on something true and that was his point but also apparently there was like five pages of notes saying that global warming isn't real at the end of the book okay i don't i don't remember that part (laughs) he even made a jingle of it global warming (laughs) global warming is fake and he was invited to the bush white house and they're like we love you now because you're helping if global warming exists then why does it snow but anyway so in retaliation for that uh someone said hey michael Crichton, you're you're a dick for publishing a book that is giving fodder for all these anti-scientific anti-global warming people uh so he wrote in a character that had literally a small penis and it's part of it's a little known uh publishing rule in the world of publishing that you can't be sued for libel if you put something in so horrible that the person will never come forward and say that's me because so if you if you say like so and so has a really tiny micro penis, the only way that you could prove that he was talking about me is if you prove in the court of law that you have God, a micro penis. Just, but the way it's used in the sentence is like, even though he had a small penis, there was still some anal tearage. Yeah, right. God, it's just uh, bums me out. Just, but so I guess Michael Crichton had the last laugh in that. I guess That's so. a little exchange. Cause. Yeah, it's just a long page of containing fleeting references to Crowley as a weasel and a dickhead, and later that political reporter who likes little boys. But And Crowley comes and goes without affecting the plot whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> it was totally not necessary. Everything would have stayed the same. It's a complete throwaway line. Yeah. I wonder why... And now I'm trying to look up like interviews to learn why Crichton felt that way. I think he okay. just... You know. He's a very intelligent. I mean, I you know, I I obviously enjoy Michael Crichton, and he's very no, intelligent. But sometimes I I will you know we can was, we, we was talk this about book this. this wasn't like a finished book is like a manuscript. Right? No, no, it, it came, this was finished it, it, during it, his oh, lifetime. Okay. It it was not his best book by a long shot. It wasn't so but, great. <laughs> but a lot of you know this is actually a topic I wanted to talk about, which is a lot of critics have made a lot of hay about how next came right after his previous book, State of Fear. Um, and, you know, he was invited to the Bush White House and enjoyed celebrity amongst right-wingers. 
So do you think that next is a similar attack on a politically sensitive subject, namely genetic research on embryonic stem cells? Is it him sort of coming out against like putting the foot down in scientific research? Or no, not? he no, he well, see that is what I is so interesting. He was he was pro. Patents. I mean, in 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 next, he was not clearly against embryonic research. Yeah. He presented it in a very just sort of straightforward way about how if it is stopped then we won't get certain answers and yeah. that it can lead to certain I answers think that he was clearly against though the patenting of it and the commercializing of it right and that you can't say oh this gene we patent it oh so if you're sad pay us a dollar yeah so we we found out what makes that tick and, and I, we could fix it only us and i think that the penultimate paragraph or the or the very last storyline uh, with Jack Walton, Watson. Watson, with Jack Watson, uh, really sums up that the answer to that question, which is Jack Watson was the the sort of angel investor who is kind of the cause of a lot of events in the book. Who just is like, I'm going to make money off of, of bioengineering, and I don't really care what He's happens behind I the curtain, pulling the strings. But then you find out that towards the end of his life, he comes down with a very very rare genetic disorder. It turns out that, like, you know, if there had been just scientific inquiry and research that wasn't driven by profit, then there would probably be a uh, a cure by now. But instead, the very climate that he kind of helped sow of just, like, we only research things that are profitable and stuff essentially was his own death knell mm -hmm. because, you know, his company, if they had been researching this stuff for the pure sake of, like, health and genetic research, then he probably would have had a cure. But instead, he was just forced to take some really rare, uh, this really uh, untested drug that killed him in almost instantly. Yeah. So that's, I think that kind of summarizes Crichton's position, which is that capitalism and science should not go hand in hand. Like they like you they can have overlapping, you know, interests, but they shouldn't be so inextricably tied that uh the the, the need for profit uh oversteps the need for scientific inquiry. Mm -hmm. Well okay, his, his I, death echoed uh, another moment in the book. Like there was a, a girl oh god, she wanted to do a procedure that was yeah. like two percent or three percent successful yeah, or and uh, it, success yeah, it was rate. like an inquest at a at a, a um a hospital of they they gave some little girl a, an untested genetic um, and she died and she died it had a 97 percent chance of killing her and yeah. essentially he had the same thing did next um actually sway minds into a gene patent trial or bill that was going to be passed well it was a best-selling book i think it definitely got people talking I, yeah. it might be hard to draw a, a exact correlation but i think that next at least, I mean, to me, it was it was a great way to look at start the conversation. Start the conversation, least. yeah, in a way that I think makes sense for all of us. And you know, besides state of fear, sort of having an, an odd tone to it, I think that next was very clearly an important book to discuss these issues in like a way that made makes sense. Agreed. So science. Science. So, genes, should we play God with them, or should we use the gifts that God gave us to mess with creatures well, and as, make cool ones? Well, as our, that scientist, um, uh, Bennett, was it Bennett, would say, God gave us the genes so that Bellarmino. we could play with them. 
Yes. So let's play with <laughs> let's it. Play with our genes. Because he gave it. them to us, so clearly we should use them in whatever yeah. way. So we clearly discovered. we should clone clone people. Uh, that's what Bellarmino would tell you. Well, what would you say? Uh, here, the, here's the thing about clones: is that they're bad shots later. Yeah, but at first they're good. <laughs> they turn evil. <laughs> Clones turn evil if science has told us anything. That's the okay. biggest problem. Yeah. It's hard because a lot of clones and a lot of, you know, transgenic animals, and, and this is touched on a little bit in the book, oh, they have, die. have a lot of big health problems. Earlier. So it's like, you know, if we intentionally or not create a, a person that has major health problems because of what we did to him or her, I mean, is that ethical? I think we really need to refer back to Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park. <laughs> Life when, uh, 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 finds a way. No. Where he says... Water drop I, on I hand. dropped water on your hand. It is now wet. <laughs> Sorry, go I don't ahead. know if that was... Go ahead. <laughs> I Just because you could doesn't... You never stop to think about if you should. You should. Yeah. You found out that you could, and then you're slapping labels on things, making lunchboxes, and then you're selling it. And you're yes. selling it, and you never stop to think about if you should. I have decided not to endorse your park. <laughs> I I personally think that uh, we should explore genetic, um, you know, experiments because that's kind of where the science has led us. Like if we don't, if you don't get to a point where we explore stem cells and embryonic research and whatnot, then so, you know, biological science has reached its limits. But yeah, if let's we, get weird with it. But the more we get into that, it seems like the more we're like a oh, lot God. of doors are unlocking mm-hmm. and a lot of things are making a lot well, more sense. So. Just quickly, I think something that Crichton pointed out, which I'd have to go back and research more, was differences between certain kinds of embryonic research and how those cells are donated or how they're received. And there has to be a way to not, you know, horrify people through you know donation or if, if someone passes away, they can decide if their organs are donated and maybe with embryonic cells, there can be some sort of way that they can be donated that is well there's okay but there is science on that we're kind of on the cusp of that again is mentioned briefly in here of being able to find stem cells that uh, are not like baby people but also could be used to repair you know just about anything from brain tissue to heart right they're working on it Uh, and and you can get it from like blood like people created stem cells just from Right. It's blood. not quite the same. It's not quite as helpful, but they're working on it. Yeah. Real quickly, I'll just I'll just where ask you questions where we would draw the line. Um we developed genes so where you could put it in a human where he lives forever. Would that be good for us? <sighs> the opposite of the maturity gene. <laughs> well, I I already think there are too many people on the planet already. Like the earth is not really sustainable right now. Uh, and the fact that in 20 years, we're going to have 9 billion people, 10 million, 11 billion people on a planet that should really only have about five max uh, is already an issue. So if we have uh, eternal immortals walking around and eating all our food and, you know, driving their cars, I it's going to get real bad. Like they real could quick. die if I like stab you or, yeah. you know. But. Make immortal people and put them on spaceships. I'm cool with that. Oh, that'd be cool. I mean, I could go vampire, but. <laughs> I mean, you know, it w- it would be one of those things where you're forgetting or not. We have just haven't mentioned it. The fact that the wealthiest people would buy out the technology. I mean, it would just be a madhouse to it would be like Indiana Jones times a million. It would just be hard for people to grasp. And, and they'd be searching for Fountain of Youth. And if this mm-hmm. popped up, it would just cause a whole bunch of other problems. 
How about designing your kid? If you could pick and choose which genes and how he'd be, how I mean, he, if the, the old, I, I mean, the instinct is to say no, and we have to just let it. Whatever happens, happens. But if you could genetically, cert- with a very high degree of certainty, say we're going to make sure he doesn't have Alzheimer's, right. we're going to make sure that he doesn't have, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, if health issues after. I don't know. It would be hard if you could make sure that someone wasn't born with an illness that you know is in your genetic makeup. It would be difficult to say no. Say no. I mean, it, it would, especially if you've lived through other people in your family having that illness and you've watched them your whole life deal with it. Right. So, I mean, it's a difficult question. I'm not sure what the what I would say. But for me, I would have to have a pretty high degree of certainty that it would work and not cause other major issues. Yeah. How would you know? You know, you don't. That's why you have the test child. Who knows what's <laughs> next? Who knows what's next? Next. Why don't you go in the Why don't you go in the corner and spit in a tube somewhere? I already did. Um. So wrapping up this book, uh, favorite parts or something else to uh, touch on? Yeah, I I would say the parts that really. The, my favorite part is the what could be considered the climax, where you have all these the the cool stories sort of coalescing, mm-hmm. where you have the bounty hunters winding up at the same yeah, spa cool. where Gerard the parrot had already flown away from his captors and landed there and was like stealing oranges from regular parrots. Yeah, and then he he's there to he barks out fake gunshots and stops the bounty hunters, and then Dave comes in and bites off the ear of the bounty hunter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I would and carries it with him. Yeah. Like, as a trophy yeah. yeah i would say um i two parts one part just a small moment is rick deal the head of biogen when everything's falling apart on him and you know he's tried to go after his wife and he's this company is falling apart he's basically mm-hmm. everything's over for him and he's ex- <laughs> finally excited because the woman from that um that security firm who's so attractive who he loved seeing who he totally bought into is back at his office to see him again and so he's like oh please like let her in and she comes in and it's a totally different woman and you realize that he's been played no, again yeah. and that just guy the that cherry he on just top on his shit pie yeah but my my other favorite moment is definitely when the transgenic animals come together at the spa and gerard saves the day and, yeah. <laughs> and they form an action squad <laughs> see that's cool I already mentioned my favorite part. No joke, that's my favorite part. But, yes, the exciting stuff with the transgenic animals. Yeah. Which, overall, I liked this book. It got technical, but not too technical. It wasn't hard to yeah. follow. But that's a Michael Crichtonism, I think. Yeah. He it, tries to root it in Yeah, science. he dumbs it down. And he, he makes it accessible and, and enjoyable for the most part. I mean, I... I enjoyed Next. I actually realized once I picked it for us that it was actually kind of an odd choice because of, for Crichton, usually his books have a more structured, like straight, right. linear yeah. story. And they're interesting. And, you know, there's Prey with the nanotechnology, which is more of a straightforward monster mm-hmm. book. I would say the best way to read this book is read it as a series of short stories yeah. on on bioengineering. I thought you were going to say on the turlet. As you're on the turlet, down. that occasionally uh, intersect in in fun ways. That's the yeah. best way to read it. And I I think the the best part coming out of this book was realizing that as of 2013, gene patents are not allowed. That's a, that's a <laughs> nice yeah a nice familiar uh, territory. I just wish there's a little more characterization because because of the quick chapters they mm-hmm. went to stereotypes. Yeah. Every teenager was angsty. 
angry every, at their parents. And loud every, music. Every young Here's a direct quote. was a bombshell. Here's a quote. Uh, Tracy, when their father brings home the chimp, she's gonna. it's going to kill her social life. She says, I'm so embarrassed. I, I'm going to make freshman... I was going to make freshman cheerleader. This was my year, Dad. <laughs> and then you brought home uh, this chimp, man. Boy. Not everyone's going to make fun of me for my chimp brother. <laughs> but These are real issues, Aaron. <laughs> actually, chimeras are real, too. Oh, yeah. The, the concept of chimeraism. Oh, God, we didn't even that, get into that. It's, it usually happens when there's like fraternal twins in the womb and one absorbs the other in a strange way that incidentally creates... Uh, a hybrid person, so they different body parts have literally an entirely different, different set of DNA. But let's well, let's pause for a second. The Chimera issue was a different set of characters. It was well, was it Tracy? Was that her name? No, it wasn't it Dave's was a, family. It, it wasn't was, even in the book. It was just yes, a, it, no, wasn't, it was. It, was, it was in the book. It there's was, a paternal suit, but there's was, no one that had a Chimera. Yes, it was the the daughter who kept telling her mother that my father's not my father. Yeah, got the, the DNA test. And it came back that she was right. The DNA didn't match. And then the mom finds out. That's why she's that, trying to get the body that had the lead pipes That in had it. the uh, legs taken, the bones taken out. Because they wanted to retest the body to be a chimera to see if. But then it turned out it was just because Raza is a fucking idiot. So they weren't actually able to confirm <laughs> so there wa- it. Is so there wasn't what? an actual nope. chimera. No, I think the, testing for that. Well, I think that you're supposed to think that the father was a chimera. No, I think that it was because Raza just made up the test results. No, you're confusing the storyline no if i i listened to it that's what happened raza had nothing to do with the dna test Sometimes that came you, back you to the have, daughter you might have heard yes. it but i don't think you listened Aaron. that that is that was that was that's part always of been testing your problem that, which is real but then they're like oh this is scientifically what would have happened if all the rules were followed but it turned <laughs> I think, out the raza i think that just died like it didn't go one way or the other no. they Maybe just it was, buried the know. body and we're like I got we're, done, the, we're done with this i got the impression that that was just like a cool little tangent that he talked yeah. about chimeraism and then it turned out that it was just because raza made up the test results and that's why the dna didn't match what happened what happened was the daughter sent away her dna which they tested against samples that was already public i think of the father and it came back that she wasn't that that wasn't her father and then yeah. her mom was furious because she was like that's not true i didn't Chi on my husband tried to have the body exhumed and that's when you get the real side issue of the bones being missing and all this other stuff and then you realize that the wife may have killed her husband so she mm-hmm. doesn't so she doesn't really want to deal with this yeah. so yeah. you end up not really I don't remember the results coming back in but they talk about a chimera as the reason why the they daughter could the daughter could think that she she wasn't right um, re- related, but, but she his, was. But then, when they exhumed the body, the bones were missing because Raza stole them. But Raza d- had oh, nothing yeah. had nothing to do with the paternity test, is what I'm saying. That was that the daughter sent out to a different lab. Oh, okay. I don't I know. Th- is in school. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know about it. I was so like, oh, that's a real thing. I mean, I I like I liked reading this book because you don't often read science fiction that's so embedded in where we are right now yeah i i I thought it was a nice change of pace to have it be the near future um versus the other ones that are in such a far-flung future that you know your space travel and stuff this is like stuff that could literally happen if if it's not happening already in 10 years in a world that's completely familiar to us because it is our world basically and i'm i really want to find a new story about a talking orangutan it's, I bet that they're out there oh, right yeah. now. I bet or, he's uh, out there. Let's so say they mentioned hybrids like a polar bear grizzly mix. That sounded cool. Yeah. <laughs> 
a growler or something. A growler, a growler bear. <laughs> I want one. Maybe that's what I'll transgen. A Nick growler bear. <laughs> no patent. Nick, half Nick, half polar bear. <laughs> that just eats sandwiches and drinks beer. <laughs> Uh, and what? then, and then he just becomes Yorna Bernerson. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Nick. And then we create Yorna Bernerson from the Golden Compass, and everything comes full circle. And yeah. Nick is like, "I love you. I love you, Lyra." <laughs> and then they date. Uh, we still need to. <laughs> so, what are we doing next week? Next I mean, week. I mean, next month. Uh, we're gonna. Who picks? Let's Who next, picks? I think is I, I give it to Aaron. My turn to pick. Uh, I had two ideas. Maybe we could put I it up to we a little boat. I thought we were gonna boat. do a. Um, I remember last time we talked. It was uh, how to survive in a. Yeah, there's two. Like we could either do how to survive in a science fiction universe, which is a, a novel that came out recently. They got a lot of acclaim. It was his first novel. Um, I think a guy named Charles Yu. Uh, or we could do a play by Samuel Beckett called Endgame that takes place in a post-apocalyptic universe, but is also kind of absurdist. So I I will leave it up to you guys, not you at home listening, but Nick and Helen here. <laughs> you have no say here. Uh, which would you rather do? Well, can you give us All a right. little teaser description of each? Or I say we save the play and we have, oh God, there's not enough microphones. Like do a people, reading of it? Yes, people pick parts and we do a reading of it. <laughs> I think the play is like an hour and a half. <laughs> like, it's a full play. Well, it's a full podcast. Okay. <laughs> you don't think um, this is going to be an hour and a half long? I think, I mean, honestly, I think I'm leaning towards the novel because I, I want to read that. Okay. Yeah, me too. So we'll do How to Survive. I wanted to read Red Shirts, but it sounded similar. So yeah, How to Survive in a Science Fiction Universe by Charles Yu. I believe it's about a time traveler who everything gets awry and it's just how he survives day to day. Um, pick it up at a bookstore near you or on Amazon.com. And also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at My Arms Are Lasers. Or you can follow me, Aaron, at Good Aaron. Me, Nick Allen, at um, Go to Miss Prime. G O A T I M U S P R I M E. Or you can also follow me at E T Phone H. Cool. Great name. Thanks for thanks, thanks for joining us here on My Arms Are Lasers. This that was next next week. <laughs> is next, 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 the sequel to next from is Beyond the Grave. How to survive in a science fiction universe. Thanks for listening. Genes. We're patenting them, we're manipulating them, we're taking pieces of genes and inserting them elsewhere. We're sort of fragrant. F- fragrantly. We're, we're <laughs> using, using them as excuses for social behavior. Yeah, and then we're also flagrantly. Why can't I say that word? Flagrantly. You can say it normal so we could cut it in. <laughs> flagrantly. How about you pick a different word? No, no, I'm getting this. Flagrantly. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> You're upsetting Wally. <laughs> I hate this. Flag- flagrantly. You got it. Oh.